You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, peace be with you. Well, good to see you. He has risen. I want to make sure y'all are still on your game from last week. Amen. He has risen indeed. It is so good uh, to be with you all and to continue to celebrate our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I just want to uh, start off just by praising God for his goodness to us as a church, as I feel like last week was a, a really impactful resurrection day. I know it was for me, uh, not only with the singing and uh, the, the encouragement that we received on Sunday, but just looking around and seeing God work in our church uh, through people living out their identity as servants. So we put a huge challenge out before the church where we needed a lot of volunteers. I believe it was 150. And by God's grace, we met that goal. And we saw people using their gifts, serving one another in incredible ways. And I don't want to go through uh, every single ministry, but I mean, uh, I was just proud to see our church in the way that we help connect people, uh, 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 children, volunteers, uh, the arts, you name it, uh, people showed up. So thank you for making that a special day. I also just want to say, I'm just thankful for our our servants, our uh, staff. I really do believe that the Lord has blessed us with an incredible staff um, that just brings me joy to work with. And if you could just see the amount of collaboration and teamwork um, that went into um, hosting four services in the middle of a pandemic in a way that kept everyone safe and that had different activities. Um, I'm just thankful for that. Every Easter, there's just great stories that I get to hear as a pastor and um, wonderful, encouraging emails that we will receive as a staff of um, people being impacted uh, by our ministry, not necessarily just on Easter, but throughout. And so we received a number of wonderful stories uh, this year as well. But one of my favorites um, for uh, uh, several reasons came from a family that's in Chicago. Um, And we have a picture of them here. And so uh, this is a family, uh, the, to my left, um, with the uh, striped uh, dress on, is uh, uh, a woman who lives in Chicago. Um, this is her brother to uh, the right. Uh, this is a member of ours named Caesar right there in the middle. And that's her brother's, uh, Mr. Witt's wife and kids. Now, the reason that this is fun is, one, is they are from uh, Chicago, Illinois. And they became acquainted with Sojourn uh, some years ago, first through Sojourn Music. And during the pandemic, the sister uh, started watching our live services um, over a year ago. 
And they had been uh, so impacted by what the Lord was doing here at Sojourn that they decided to spend Easter together here in Louisville. And not only did that encourage me, but two other things encouraged me. They didn't drive from Chicago to be here. As a family, they spent uh, the week before in Florida on spring break, which means that they made a 16-hour trip just to attend one of our worship services. And what gets even more phenomenal than that is right in the middle, you see Caesar. And the reason who is a faithful member here who participates in various ways, um, it was a reunion for him because Mr. Witt was one of Caesar's teachers in high school um, and was a a part of a Christian club in which Mr. Witt, as a teacher, uh, poured into him and other students' lives. So what was funny is they come to service and all of a sudden he looks, he says, man, that looks like my old teacher. The teacher looks at him and says, man, that looks like a guy that used to be a part of my, uh, 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 this Christian club. And, uh, and they end up having a reunion after not seeing each other in years and not knowing that they were going to be in the same place. Amen. And so the reason I say that is this as a church. Uh, We want to praise the Lord for what he's doing here. I want to praise the Lord for the many ways in which all of you contribute to what he's doing here. And we want to take some time to celebrate the life that God has given us. I mean, we got to celebrate three baptisms, three more college students that were baptized uh, last week. And so this place, by God's grace, is full of life. In fact, Mr. Witt wrote this when reflecting on their experience here. He said the worship was excellent, but we also met a local body of believers striving to do their best for their community. We know at Sojourn, there is a passion to be relevant uh, to your community, but it is not superseded by your passion for Christ as revealed in scripture and his power to accomplish his purposes in our lives. I'm not sure it is always easy, but the unity you appear to have in your diversity is really encouraging. Sojourn is a city on a hill to us, with light shining all the way to Chicago. Lord willing, we'll be back. Amen. And uh, I do want to pause even before uh, going into the sermon. Let's actually, let's pause and praise the Lord for our AV team. Amen. Who made this pandemic possible uh, for us to watch uh, services during a pandemic. Amen. Y'all have worked so hard. And, uh, and, and this family was able to get connected through, through you all's hard work. So thank you. Um, let's pray. And then we're going to dive into this text, which I can't wait um, to explain and apply. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your goodness. When I think about our church, um, I just think about a, a group of um, ordinary people that's intentionally living um, to show off your extraordinary grace. Uh, we are, are weak. We are um, just disciples that aren't distinguished in any other way from any other person or any other church, uh, but we're, we're just seeking to make much of you. And thank you for this testimony, which points to that. I pray that you'll have your way during the rest of this service. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are finishing the book of Matthew this morning, and uh, it's been over a year and a half of a journey in this book, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I've enjoyed sitting in it week in and week out uh, probably more than actually uh, uh, preaching, just being a, a recipient of it. 
And this weekend, reflecting on that, I became sad just thinking that this is the end of our journey. Uh, But when we think about the Gospel of Matthew, we want to remember that it's written by a man whose life was transformed by Jesus. He was in a profession in which he oppressed others and took advantage of them. And he met Jesus and his whole life changed. So this letter is his magnum opus, what he's been meditating on, putting together for years. He's been writing it with so much intentionality. And he uses about 24,000 uh, words. He tells incredible stories about people, uh, the birth of Jesus, people meeting Jesus, parables about what it means to be in a kingdom. And he shares all of these fantastic, um, these fantastic miracles. And all of that is to bring us to these last four verses. And in these last four verses, we have something that's called the Great Commission. And it is Jesus's, uh, some of Jesus's final words before ascending and going to heaven uh, to those that he uh, redeemed and made uh, disciples before he leaves. And it's an incredibly important passage. And as we close out, there's a lot we could do with this passage. But primarily what I want to do is I want to apply this passage specifically to a burden that we as your pastors have had for our church. You guys heard about this burden about a year and a half ago when we declared our vision as a church. And we said that our vision as a church was to fill up our city with gritty disciple makers. And so as we look at this passage and this great commission that Jesus gives the universal church um, of all times, I want to apply it specifically to our vision. And now when we talk about our vision, there's two uh, big words there that's, that's important. One, uh, you wouldn't actually call it a big word. Some of you may argue with me and say it's not actually a word, but it's a word that maybe we made up and infused some meaning to is the word gritty. Uh, to be gritty uh, for us means to have both passion uh, for Jesus and perseverance. Another way to say it, it is to have uh, both zeal and steadfastness. And so as a church, we pray that all of our members have this godly grit. Uh, The second word that's really important here is the word disciple maker. Uh, We pray that every single one of our members are disciple makers, not merely uh, Christians and not merely disciples but disciple makers. If you are a covenant member of Sojourn, your expectation from your pastors, as well as uh, because it comes from Jesus, is that your goal is to be a disciple-making disciple. In fact, I'm going to add to that. Your goal is to be a gritty, passionate, and persevering disciple who makes disciples. And I want to show you in a text today of of why we uh, came to that and how this important passage helps us to do it. You'll see right in the heart of the text that Jesus gives an imperative, and that imperative is to make disciples. Now, what Jesus uh, tells us or commands us to do, notice, is not to merely make converts. And it's not to go and to make churchgoers. And it's not to have as many uh, worship services as we can so that people can be entertained and leave feeling good about themselves. Jesus's command is to make disciples. 
And out of all that Matthew could have highlighted, of all of Jesus' last words, the thing he thinks is most important is these last two sentences that Jesus commissions the church into. And so I want us to look at the context by which this is written by starting at verse uh, 16, and then we're going to look at verse 17. And then I'm going to simply answer three questions for you today. Well, first is this, like, what is a disciple? Second is how do we, uh, how does a disciple make disciples? And then third is what's the key to becoming a gritty disciple that makes disciples? Now, as we look at verse 16, we want to see the importance. Uh, we want to see the context in which uh, Matthew is, is, is pointing us to. In verse 16, it says, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, which would have been about a four or five uh, day walk from where they were uh, in Jerusalem and just outside of Jerusalem uh, to the mountain where Jesus directed them. And so Jesus directing them back to their home base where many of these disciples actually became di- disciples. You may remember Matthew chapter 4. Just before the Sermon on the Mount, which was in Galilee, Jesus goes through the poorest, most oppressed places of Galilee, and he calls people uh, to, he calls them out uh, to be his disciples, right? So he's going back to their place of being familiar, back to the place where it all started, and he's taking them to a mountain. Because in the book of Matthew, whenever revelation is given, it often happens on a mountain. And, and it's pointing us back to the Old Testament where revelation for Moses, Elijah, and other prophets was often given on a mountain. The law was often given on the mountain. So Matthew is saying this is a significant moment where Jesus is about to give, and, uh, give some revelation. And verse 17 is very interesting. It speaks of these, um, at least these 11. It's a good chance that there are more disciples there, but Matthew is focusing on 11. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul says that Jesus, when he uh, was resurrected, that he appeared to over 500 other disciples. So it's possible that these disciples are there with others, but Matthew is focusing on these 11. But listen to this. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So they are coming uh, to this place in Galilee. They are meeting with Jesus. And the Bible says that many of them are just, they just begin to worship Jesus. They begin to adore him, to lay prostrate before him uh, because they heard about how he was crucified. And some of them had witnessed it and uh, know that he has uh, been resurrected. But when we see this word doubted in the English, we often think, uh, think of that they were skeptical. Right. When I say the word doubt, I'm like, man, I, I doubt it. I'm, I'm speaking in, in terms of skepticism. But here, doubt it uh, more means that they had this um, uncertainty, especially when Jesus was far away. You'll notice that in verse 18, it says Jesus came near. So it's possible that they see Jesus on this mountain and that there's this uncertainty that's happening in their heart, not necessarily skepticism, uh, perhaps a better translation, uh, some uh, theologians say, is the word hesitated. Uh, they saw Jesus, they see him resurrected, and they're hesitating, which makes sense because many of them just abandoned Jesus. Many of them just betrayed him. Some of the disciples are probably remembering what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, that if you deny me before man, I will also deny you before the Father. 
So there's this sense where they see this resurrected Jesus and they're told to meet him on the mountain. And, and, and some are just worshiping him like, yes, others are probably hesitant to approach him thinking, I failed you. I abandoned you. You said that you would do this and I didn't believe you. Now, why do you want me on this mountain? And it's just amazing that Jesus here, even to those who are coming to him in weakness and failing him and who are hesitant, he gives the same commission to those who are just outright worshiping him with joy and those who are coming in weakness because uh, they realize their, their betrayal and need for him. And so in this text, Jesus is going to give them this, this great commission. And when we think about the great commission, there's in English a lot of verbs here that we can think that maybe Jesus is focusing on. There's words like go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But in the original language, there's really only one main imperative, and that's the word make disciples. All the other words that are translated here as verbs are actually a participles, which means that they modify the main verb. The verb is the central thing, and all the other things are just extensions and applications of it. So Jesus' main commission to those who are on this mountain, who are worshiping him and who are hesitant, is that they will make disciples, that they would make disciples. So hear me when I say this. Everything that the church does in light of a resurrected Jesus should be pointing us to fulfill what Jesus called the disciples to do, which is to make disciples. Robert Coleman, who wrote a a classic book uh, called The Master Plan of Evangelism, said this, the criteria upon which any church should measure its success is not how many new names are added, to the role, nor how much the budget is increased, but rather how many Christians are actively winning souls, and listen to this, and training them or discipling them to win the multitudes. Jesus did not call us, as I said earlier, to entertain people on Sunday and and just merely give us great experiences. And he didn't call us to be converts and to add on as many services as possible so we can feel special when we wear a T-shirt that says our church's name. No, Jesus called us and every church to make disciples. That is why we sit under the preach word every week. That is why we gather together to worship. That is why we scatter. It's to become gritty disciples who make disciples. Now, there's a lot of different definitions for uh, disciples, and I'm not going to give you the end-all, be-all. But this week, I tried to just summarize um, how I experienced Matthew throughout, um, along with uh, some of our discipleship curriculum that we have here to just say, man, what does it mean to be a disciple? And this is uh, basically what um, I want to put before you. It's, it's, It's longer. But when you think about Matthew... Um, To be a disciple is to be an apprentice of Jesus that follows, hears, and obeys. And when reflecting on that, I was reflecting on Matthew uh, chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. It's this invitation into his kingdom to follow him. But also Matthew 12, where Jesus' family comes, and they're looking 
uh, for Jesus as he's doing ministry. And they want time with him. But Jesus is like, no, my will is to do the will of my father. And he looks to the rest of the disciples and essentially says, those who are part of my family are those who do the will of my father. So to be a disciple is to be one who follows, who hears the voice of Jesus and who obeys it. They are committed to knowing, growing, and going for Jesus because he is who he said he is and, he's, and because of what he's done for them. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is starting off his uh, ministry in that Galilee area, and he begins to call disciples. And remember what he said. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishermen of men or fish for people. Follow me means know me intimately know me. Give me your time. Give me your life. Become my student and I will make you. That's growing. Grow in me. Understand that I am going to transform you and then become a fisher of men is go for me. Live your life on mission for me. A disciple are those who are learning and persevering. The greatest commandments, Matthew 22, right? Learning and persevering and loving God with everything that they have and loving their neighbor as themselves. So all throughout Matthew, Matthew is showing us what it means to be a disciple. Which brings us to the next question is how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? Now, to make a disciple in this text, we see two main uh, things, right? Um, Baptizing and teaching. Uh, But understand, that's not the means in which we make a disciple. The way in which a person becomes a disciple is by hearing the good news of Jesus and by following him. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we make disciples by going out and by sharing this good news of Jesus, by giving people the invitation into his kingdom, into a new way of life, by inviting them to turn from going down a, a dark alley where there is a, a, a sure a danger and a sure dead end to a life that is inviting us to abundance, to joy, um, and to peace with God forevermore. And so we call them to turn from one way that is destructive into another way, um, which is, is, is full of life. But the way in which we do that is by three ways. The first is by going. Look at verse 19. Go, therefore. A better way to translate that maybe is in your going, make disciples of all nations, right? Which points us back to like Genesis chapter 12 and this this vision in the Old Testament of of all the nations worshiping uh, Psalm 2, God's son, right? So we do this by going. One of my, uh, and y'all have heard this over and over, and I'm, I'm telling you, if you stay here at Midtown, and if the Lord uh, keeps me and allows me to be here until I'm old, y'all are going to know this story by heart, all right? But one of the uh, people who most impacted my life was a pastor that I met in Michigan. And, uh, and uh, you know, I followed Jesus when I was uh, younger, through disappointment, turned away from him and, and wasn't following him. And one day I met him in a grocery store. And the thing that amazes me about uh, my pastor is how intentional he was and how intentional he is. Um, in his going, he sought to make disciples. He used to go to the grocery store pretty much at the same time every day. He would go to the same restaurants at the same time. He would get to know people's names. Um, he would come uh, to 
uh, Michigan State University and eat lunch once a week, you see, you used to, at the uh, student center and try to get to know students' names and invite them to a Bible study that he has started. And so one day in his going and going through his regular motion in his regular life, um, he stopped me in an on-campus grocery store and invited me to a Bible study. And when I told him that I was not going to be able to come because I was studying, he looked at me and said, um, no offense, but you don't look like the type of person that's going to study on a Tuesday. <laughs> Why y'all? I'm still processing that, right? And he was like, he was like, but so I think you should come and hear this great, crazy preacher preach. He's phenomenal. And I came to that Bible study because he's right. I was not about to study. I just didn't want to come to a Bible study. <laughs> And he was the one that was preaching, right? And in his going, he poured his life into me, and God used him and a whole other lot of people to bring me back to him. And that's what it looks like to make disciples, okay? It looks like you living intentional, wherever you live, getting to know your neighbors, wherever you do life, slowing down to, to care enough about people and to wonder if they know Jesus, it looks like uh, not only where you live, but where you work, going into your workplace every single day as an ambassador of God's kingdom, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as one who is a new creation, as one who's been set aside by God, who's been saved from darkness, brought into a kingdom of light so that you can be used by others to bring them into a kingdom of light. And you see that 40 hours is not you just working for a paycheck or working unto man, but working unto the Lord, knowing that you are a missionary there. It looks like you taking where you play, where you live, work, and play, and say, this is where I work out. This is where we like to have fun. But God may want to transform someone who is around me. And this doesn't include me having of all the answers or being weird. It's just me letting the light of Christ naturally shine through me. And here's the good news. This happens not by us white knuckling it, not by us beating ourselves up, not by making a list of things and saying, I'm going to leave and do this. But it happens as we abide in Christ, as we follow him, follow me. Um, John puts it this way, abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. This happens as we naturally give all of our life to Jesus and, and spend our life just worshiping him, learning more and more to live from the inside out with him as king of our lives. So we do this by going. We do this by baptizing as people say that they want to follow Jesus. We teach them about this ritual of baptizing. And we, we bring them um, uh, and, uh, before other believers to allow them to uh, go through this symbol that represents the fact that we have died to ourselves in Christ Jesus and we are raised anew. And we emphasize that, that it is an, an important ritual, an important sign that points us to a decision that we made in our heart to follow Jesus, to be made by Jesus, and to grow in Jesus. And we also do this by teaching. And notice verse teaching, verse 20. Teaching them to observe everything that I commanded. And that may seem overwhelming, but we don't teach them to observe everything he commanded, one, overnight. Uh, we all are disciples who are making disciples, but we are constantly learning. 
Um, and, and as we are learning, we are teaching others as well. A disciple is not a person who has it all together. A disciple maker can be someone who's just come to faith in Christ, but who is sharing their God-given resources with another person. You don't have to be a Christian for three years, for five years, for a year before you start that process. You can start that process by telling other people the day after you're saved, the day that you're saved, what you do know about Jesus. It's by teaching. Making disciples means that you have to slow down and you, you get to know someone. Becoming a disciple maker means and requires you to, to be curious, to ask questions, to be, to be patient. It means that you are teaching people prayerfully what you have learned, Romans 12. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A disciple is one who is constantly allowing God to renew their mind. Because before following Jesus, all we knew is, is, is what the world was teaching and what the world was giving. But a disciple of Jesus is one who is now committed to learning the ways of Jesus and allowing what Jesus teaches and how he lives to completely shape them. In fact, the word disciple um, is really just means to be a student. It means to be an apprentice. And there is an old saying to those who were um, students uh, back in the first century. The greatest compliment you can give a student is to say, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. And if you had a well-known rabbi, that was the greatest compliment because what that meant is that you were so close to that rabbi that when that rabbi uh, stepped in dust, that, that dust got on you because you followed him so closely. And being a disciple means that we're committing to follow Jesus so closely that, that his dust gets on us. And being a disciple maker means that we want to live our life helping other people to follow Jesus closely to where his dust gets on them. Now, I'm going to share a burden with you all as, a, as, a, as your pastor. A burden that I have for our church and for especially the church in America is that um, Jesus is not the one who's discipling us. See, everybody is being discipled. Everybody is a student. And either you're a student of the, the ways of this world, the ways of society, or you're a student of the way, which is Jesus Christ. And I'm really concerned about uh, many Christians today who believe that following Jesus is a, is a smorgasbord in which you just kind of commit to taking the parts you like and the parts that's cool and okay and that won't get you um, to feel like an outsider with the world, um, rather than taking all of Christ and all of what he offers. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you are committed to being conformed to Jesus, to being transformed by Jesus and not the world. And so if you read your word and you see what Jesus teaches and you hear that society or the world is teaching something else, 
And, and saying X is true when Jesus is saying Y is true, a true disciple of Jesus is going to look at what the world is offering and in love say X is not true. Y is true because Jesus uh, says it's true and here is why. And disciples of Jesus know that following the master and allowing his dust to get on them also means that they are going to go through what he went through. Jesus says, those who are my disciples are not only those who obey me, but they are those who are going to be persecuted for following me. Jesus says in Luke, woe uh, to uh, the person with whom everyone speaks well of. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the living word. What he says is right. We don't bend the word to fit what we feel or what we want. We bend ourselves to fit to what he says and what he wants. And if you are a covenant member of Sojourn, You are not to be one who says, I'm going to be a member of Sojourn and believe the opposite of what's being taught and what I signed up as a covenant member because I like that we have good music and that uh, two out of 10 sermons is good because someone besides Jamal preaches. (laughs) To be a covenant member of Sojourn means that you love Jesus and you love his word and you are committed to being shaped by his word and not by the world. And we are okay with the persecution that may come because we are following the footsteps of our master. And it is a privilege to get his dust upon us. So we baptize, we teach. Colossians chapter 1, 28 through 29 says this. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is my call as a pastor. That is your pastor's call. It's to help all of us to grow into maturity in Christ. And that's what we labor labor to do. And so here at Sojourn, we do that by um, fostering ministries that help to do that. Um, All of our ministries is seeking to make disciples. Everything we do is seeking to help us to live out our identity as a disciple, as a family, and as a servant. And some of the ways in which we make disciples here is through community groups. Um, And we expect um, every member to be ingrained in community here. And for some, that may not be the season, may not be the time to be in a community group, but we expect you to know other Christians and to do life with them. And one of our primary ways of of becoming uh, disciples and discipling people is to to do it in community. Uh, Discipleship and becoming a disciple maker is not an individual project. It's a group project. I can't wholly disciple one person because there's areas of my life that I'm still learning and growing to be a disciple. So we all need to be discipling others, but we also need to be being discipled by others. Another way is through what we call D groups, discipleship groups, 
Right before the pandemic, we talked about not only community groups, but breaking off in, in gender-specific uh, groups in which we go through a curriculum for 18 months that just teaches the way of Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus, and we learn about what it means to be a Christian with the hopes of then be, being able to do that to others. And though even this is a, a process or it feels like a program, um, and if you're not in a discipleship group or leading a discipleship group, um, you're called um, to be discipled and to make disciples. So that needs to be happening. This is Jesus' great commission. This is what Matthew told all these stories and all these parables for to help us to live into this identity. And so I got three quick questions for you before I close. One is, are you a disciple? And notice what I asked you. I did not ask you, are you a Christian? Because in America, Western culture, that really doesn't mean a lot. Uh, being a Christian in America could mean anything. It can mean that you're just fond of Jesus. For some people, it means that Jesus is one of many great teachers and ways. Um, but I didn't ask you if you're a Christian. I asked you, are you a disciple? Um, reading one uh, pastor and reflecting on his words, he made a great point about Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, we read this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And he <laughs> makes the great point that, you know, Christians were not the main thing that uh, the early church were called. In fact, in the New Testament, the term Christian is only used three times. And when it is used the first time, it was a derogatory term um, towards uh, those who were basing their life around Jesus. The word that was used most in the New Testament was the word disciple. When discovering the people of God, 281 times, are you a person who knows Jesus, who is growing in Jesus, and who is going for Jesus? Second is, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? It's assumed in the New Testament that if you are one who is committed to following Jesus, you are going to be baptized. Baptism is a ritual. It's not magic. It doesn't save you, but it is an important walk of the Christian faith. It's one of the main things that Jesus emphasizes on this text. To be The word baptized or baptismal means to be fully submerged underwater. It is an important ritual by which you go underneath the water and we talk about this whenever we baptize and you're submerged underwater, representing that you have died uh, to yourself in Christ and you are risen anew. And it's an important ritual because you are declaring to a family of believers that they uh, can walk with you as well as hold you accountable for the confession that you made. And it reminds you when Satan is throwing his fiery darts at you, that you made a confession of faith and that there were other people there to witness and that you belong to Jesus even when you fail, even when you don't feel like it. Third, and so I want to encourage you, let me say this, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. And if there's a fear of being baptized because of some external pressure or an anxiety or reason, um, but you say, I am a follower of Jesus and I'm ready, talk to us about it and we can, we can talk to you about it. And 
Third is, are you a disciple maker? Being a disciple maker takes intentionality. It takes slowing down and inviting people into your life. It takes fighting against Western culture, which is entirely individualized and self-focused and pushing back to the life and way of Jesus. Following Jesus means simply reading the Gospels, looking at who he did, who he is, what he did, and imitating that to the best of your ability. And Jesus spent his life with other people who confessed faith in him and built relationship, prayed, taught, suffered with. That is what it means to be a disciple, and that's what it takes to be a disciple maker. So are you being discipled more by the culture, which says me and mine's, my nuclear family, my 401k, my personalized belief systems that, uh, that the church pushes against, but it's okay, wink, wink, because uh, I don't have to really live by that. It's, it's really all about me. Um, are you pushing back and saying, no, Jesus saved me to know him, to make him known, and to share my God-giving resources with others? I know it's tight, but it's right. Amen. <laughs> this may be overwhelming. Um, as often, whatever God's put before us is, is because it challenges us. And so I want to close by giving you a, a very important key to living this out. Okay, And what I want to show you real quick is just how these two verses are constructed. Jesus, when he commissions the disciples, are going to use the word all in, in English four times. Okay, And two of these alls that is going to make a sandwich, and they're going to point us particularly uh, just to him. And so he's going to say, all authority, verse uh, 18, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything or all that I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always. And what Jesus is doing as he comes to this mountain and people are hesitant, the Bible says that he comes even closer. He comes even nearer. And the way in which he comforts his disciples is, is, is by turning their attention to him. (laughs) And he declares, all authority has been given to me. I'm about to tell you something that's going to be really difficult for you to believe, especially after the last couple of weeks that you had. But here is the key to doing what I'm going to tell you. Know that you're doing it under the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. In other words, this is the one. I am the one who Daniel 7 pointed to. This son of man who's going to come and home with every person from every nation is going to gather around and worship. And Jesus was given all authority. He had all authority uh, in heaven, but he's given all authority now on earth because he perfectly obeyed the father and he defeated death, which means that Jesus is now the, the, uh, the one by, with, with whom Everything is mediated through and everyone has to come through. Philippians chapter two. Because Jesus died on the cross and did what the father told him to do. 
Psalm 2, the nations have been given to him. And the only way into relationship with the Father is through Jesus. And so Jesus is the one who has all authority. Not some, all. He's not your boss. Your boss at work does not have all authority. Or if you're the boss, you don't have all authority. Your authority ends when they clock out. You can't come to the house and be like, I told you, you can't dress like that. You got to go by the dress code. They at the crib. They can dress how they want to. (laughs) Jesus is not your boss. Jesus is your Lord. He is your king, the sovereign king, which means that you must submit to him as the all authority sovereign king 24-7. That's a sermon by itself. Come on, somebody. All right, stop. All authority, all nations. He hasn't come to redeem some nations. He's come to redeem all nations, a multicultural, uh, diverse people from every um, ethnic group. And we're called to take it to them. Now, imagine how overwhelmed the disciples are right now. They're Jewish men and women, mostly, who um, are being called to take the gospel to Gentiles of all stripes. But the way Jesus is comforting them is saying, hey, yeah, but you're going under my authority. You're going in my name. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to serve all that I have commanded. Here's why I want to close our book. And remember, I am with you always. We sung about this earlier. Jesus now points us back to Matthew chapter 1 and the birth of Jesus. And where it said that this child shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. The way in which we fulfill this great commission is not by navel gazing. It's not by doubting and wondering whether or not we're smart enough, charismatic enough, or good enough. It's by remembering that Jesus is with us that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which mediates the presence of Jesus and points us to Jesus, that we bear fruit as we abide in him. We can be gritty disciples who make disciples when we recognize that we have a supernatural power living within us and equipping us to do so. But that requires that we walk by faith and not by sight. That requires us to keep our face in a book and not in the culture. That requires us to be courageous, to fight uh, uphill uh, against the things that are naturally in us that tells us that God can never use us by drawing near to him, knowing that our hesitations and our doubts will be met with his presence and we'll be empowered to go. Let's pray. Jesus, you are are the sovereign king who is Lord over all. And you've given us a big, big, big command to go to all people and to teach all that you have commanded. But we praise God that that doesn't rest on just one of us, that it's a group project And that we do it in the name of the one who has all authority and who is always with us. When we're at the grocery store, you're with us. When we're at work in an incredibly difficult environment, you're with us. 
Thank you for never leaving us. In Christ's name, amen. Every Sunday, uh, pray, pray for you, brother. Every Sunday, those on line, somebody just hunt their horn. I'm sorry, that's just my... Uh, we take a meal called communion. We take bread, we break it, knowing that it represents the broken body of Jesus. We drink juice, knowing that it represents the blood of Jesus. Here at Sojourn, each week we... Together, take a wafer. Those who have professed faith in Jesus, and this reminds us of the broken body of Jesus, which is broken for us, and we drink juice, which is the blood of Jesus shed for us so that we can have the forgiveness of sin. Let's continue in worship. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.